everyone. Welcome to another episode of At the Table, the webcast for the North Georgia Annual Conference. We have had a few conversations with district superintendents and laity from throughout the annual conference, and this is another one of those. And I'm delighted to have with me today uh, the Reverend Dr. Rodrigo Cruz, who is the superintendent of the Central East District, and Jeff Fuller. Jeff also, uh, and, and I'll leave it to them to kind of tell you about their backgrounds, but I'm delighted to have both of them. And we're going to talk today about uh, the multicultural, multiracial church and what do our communities look like and how do we be a church to all people and uh, acknowledge that we have just a tremendous wealth, and I say wealth, of life experience, of cultural difference, all of that, which I think um, is essential to a complete understanding of the kingdom of heaven and Christ and Christ's reign. So uh, I'll leave it to you guys. What have you, uh, what, what's your general observations about churches and the communities they're in and, and what our concerns should be going into the future? Thank you, Bishop, for having us. Uh, and I'll let my lay leader speak first, uh, but you want to say thank you for having us. Jeff? Thank you so much, Bishop, for having us. And thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you both for the leaders that you are and your leadership. Thank you. Going forward, I think churches should be really looking at the church itself as a movement, mm. something that is stagnant. And a movement, we have to focus on what the end hope is, the end goal is, and the end result. If the end result is to have everybody involved and the end result is to reach everyone, then that's the way we have to walk in the movement, if you will, mm-hmm. to involve all people, to consider how to reach all people. And I think that is um, the first thing that we have to start with is Realizing that, yes, church is a movement mm-hmm. and we, we need to be excited just as all movements are excited and be passionate about movements, be passionate about what we want the end goal to be. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I agree with you. I think uh, when I think in you know, the Methodist movement, when I think in the multi-ethnic movement, uh, it just gives me hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and probably I look at it from three, three angles. Uh, one is a personal, right? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm serving God because I believe God is making a difference in my life and God can use me with my gifts and graces. And when I look at my household, uh, there's seven of us, but we represent four different ethnic groups. <laughs> when, when, when we apply for scholarships or a driver license or a social security, we have to you know, check four different boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have no question to believe and to hope that one day when we all are in God's presence in heaven, we're going to be together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'll be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be serving God in the, the capacity that I am, perhaps even believing in God if there was a concept that someday I'm going to be in heaven, spending mm-hmm. eternity in a different place with my child because we're mm-hmm. different ethnic backgrounds. Right. Uh, so if I believe that is happening or that will happen on heaven, but if that is happening right now, why on earth is not happening, right? Uh, why we continue to segregate one another based on, you know, the color of skins, pigmentations, uh, accents, etc. So 
So I do, I mean, I, I believe in the multi-ethnic movement for, for selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I also believe in the multi-ethnic movement for theological reasons, mm -hmm. right? I mean, looking at, at, the, at the church in Acts and, and how, yes, Acts 2 and, you know, the Holy Spirit coming into and, and mm -hmm. how the gospel exploded. Uh, it was still a, a homogeneous church. It was a, Ju a Jewish gospel for Jewish people. Uh, and you have to jump into Acts 11 and Acts 13 when, when they finally decided to break all kind of barriers, mm -hmm. uh, socioeconomic barriers, right. cross-cultural barriers, uh, ethnic barriers, linguistic barriers. Uh, and that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. if, if, if the first church will continue to have a, a just a... a a homogeneous gospel, we wouldn't be here. Right. Uh, and I love it in Acts when they, you know, when, when it's all of the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is poured out and they list all the nations and some of the nations listed don't even exist anymore. So it's like, yeah, this is a gift for, you know, how crazy is that? But, uh, you know, let's throw in a few, a few uh, civilizations that don't exist, that aren't there anymore, but that, God is still including in the list of nations. So I think it's, it's a fascinating thing. And I also, you know, I'm, I'm just such a, such a fan of the book of Acts for the church. I mean, it is the story of the church, but how uh, Paul and, and the, and the apostles strategically place themselves and read a community. They read, what is this community? Where are the gathering places? How do I speak to it? And so uh, talk to us about that, because our communities are vastly different, but all now interrelated. I mean, I go down Buford Highway and just it's mind blowing, really. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, I think the word of the game is intentionality. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, the gospel leave the boundaries of Israel because they were intentional about that. It didn't happen by accident. And, and I love how I, I believe it's Acts 11 when they said, OK, they brought somebody from Cyrene. They brought somebody, you know, that it was a uh, rich, somebody that was poor, somebody that spoke, you know, uh, that was a, a Hellenistic Jew. And, and they strategically brought a leadership that reflect the community they were trying to reach. Uh, I know, you know, when we started the NET, uh, the church that I'm, that I'm part of, I knew that when I was going to start a church by myself, if, if I walk in the street by myself, I was going to end up with a Hispanic church or with a, Or with a church that just looks and speaks exactly like me, in the same way that when we start churches with African Americans, with Caucasians, with Asians, uh, that's that's what happens. Uh, and it is by having an intentional leadership team that can reach the community that we're trying to reflect, where where we can accomplish that. Also, I think it's about um, having personalized relationships that reflect the same. One of the things that I have been blessed to have the opportunity to do is I am working with a small group of men, uh, primarily from across my district, but some from other districts as, as well. And the focus of the group is gentlemen in forward conversation and breaking down barriers. And we take time to really understand the different backgrounds of each other, the different concepts and uh, perceptions of each other. And those type of things are what is needed to break down barriers, further help us to understand each other. 
we cannot involve other people in a movement if we don't understand them and they don't understand us. Well, but we can also, too, talk about the threat of the other, right? The threat of somebody different than I, the threat of somebody I don't understand. And it almost seems to me like a backlash in our culture today. Um, I, I truly, I, I can say in my lifetime, um, I remember when we moved near Fort Myers and I'd go to the mall in Fort Myers. And that's the first time in my lifetime I saw just a tremendous number of multiracial, multiethnic couples, families. And, um, you know, now um, it was funny. My Alan's stepmother, uh, we were watching TV one night. She goes, good grief. Every, every couple in every commercial is biracial. And I'm like, Ronnie, have you been to the mall lately? I mean, it really is. It is staggering. And I, I was talking to, um, my daughter about it. And I said, you know, it's funny, even some of these clergy pictures in North Georgia, um, you know, you have these white families and, and then you see an extended picture of their family and virtually all of them have persons of color in the family pictures now. So that has radically changed just in my lifetime. But sadly, the church has not reflected that. And if you are multi-ethnic, multi-racial family, where do you go? I mean, I've heard people say, where do we go if, you know, if, if it's homogenous? And I do think part of the backlash against some of this is this need to surround myself with homogeneity. So say, talk to us about that, because I think that's a real force now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I remember my previous appointment, which uh, I spent 10 years there, uh, and I love that place. But one of the dynamics in that ministry was that we were doing ministry in segregated ways. There was a, a you know, European, Caucasian, English-speaking ministry, and a Hispanic, Spanish-speaking ministry. And, and in both places, you know, we shared the gospel, and, and Jesus, you know, they touch people's lives. But at the end of the day, you know, we were, you know, 20 feet away from two completely different, you know, bodies of Christ, at least represented in the church. Uh, and I remember one particular Sunday, uh, my children were going back and forward to both groups. Uh, and one Sunday, my child asked me, you know, to which group I'm going today, you know, the English one or the Spanish one. Uh, and I look at my wife and I said, if we're forcing our children to grow in a church where they have to pick and choose with who they're going to sit around, you know, there's something wrong with what we're doing as parents. Uh, because, you know, when they go to the school, when they go to play sports, when they go to play in, the, in our neighborhood, they will sit, learn, eat, fight, play, sing, uh, with whoever is there beyond all kind of, you know, language barriers. So why on the church are we doing, you know, things like that? Uh, I, I really appreciate, Bishop, your statement about, you know, the threat of the other. Uh, and, and I will say also how, how selective that is, and that makes it so wrong, right? Uh, you know, I'm from Mexico, so, so I'm Mexican. And, and I haven't met anybody in this country that hates Mexican food. Uh, everybody loves Mexican food. Uh, yet, I'll say it, not everybody likes Mexican. Uh, and, and, and it is... For me, really hard to comprehend how, you know, we pick and choose what do we value and what we don't value about people's lives and how, how we choose to devalue some of their aspects and some others that don't. Uh, I mean, if, if people have children playing sports in most of the counties of this state, I mean, 
they play with other kids that don't look like them. Uh, they go to school with kids that don't look like them. Uh, moms or dads, we go to grocery stores with people that don't speak like us, don't look like us. So we do life in the midst of diversity, at least in most places in, in this state, but yet we choose to do church in the midst of segregation. And that's when the intentionality comes. Uh, and I know I, I, there is value, uh, there is a comfort in going to a place when people think like you, look like you, and just behave like you. Uh, but if we believe that really every single human being on this earth is bearing God's image. Uh, and even I, I love my background of how have able, have been able to understand God through my Mexican eyes. Goodness, I'm just getting a, a really small taste of who God is if I cannot see it through Jim, uh, Jeff's eyes or through your eyes, Bishop. And he's like, I, I won't be able to discover God's fullness unless I'm able to hear and see God through your eyes uh, in both of your cases. Amen. I know for me, one of the things that God has just revealed to me uh, is that if I'm completely surrounding myself by people that look like me, where everyone looks like me, then personally, I'm not becoming reflective of God because God encompasses us all. One of the things or conversations that came up in um, the group that I was mentioning about gentlemen and forward conversation is in the aspect of understanding each other. One of the gentlemen said to me, he says, Jeff, I feel I can share this with you because of the way our conversation is going and the bond that we're developing. But honestly, I'm not sure I would know how to respond or react if my daughter came home with a gentleman of color as a date. He says, I wouldn't know how to respond, react, what to think or how to handle that. And that led us to having a conversation about getting to know people as the person and getting to know people as their culture and being open-minded to grow with them in their culture, as well as helping them to understand our culture and helping them to see us as persons. And when we get into conversations like that, and I, I will say gladly that the end of that evening, when we, after that conversation, he says, now I feel a whole lot better about that. And I feel that I have relationships that I can go to and ask this gentleman things and ask these relationships things if there's something about this gentleman that I don't understand without offending him or making him feel not like a person. Uh, I, I was at Rodrigo's church this morning and we were commenting about the wall he has where um, it's a welcome wall and um, tell us about that wall, Rodrigo, and then tell us how, how you is, how you built that, you know, what does intentionality look like in your day-to-day -day practice that leads you to a multi-ethnic, multicultural church? Yes, uh, you know, the, the bishop, the, the wall that the bishop is talking about, we have a welcome wall. We, and we tell people, uh, if you walk into this building and your language is not represented in there, uh, you need to write it. And we have paint and brushes and, uh, and people start writing their languages. And we have welcome in English, Spanish, Korean, Vietnamese, Swahili, uh, Arabic, and, and, and so on. Uh, and, and for us, it is just this symbol that uh, 
we don't we we want to hear people's voice. We want to be intentional on people finding a, you know a sense of value who they are. Uh, and while they may be able to read welcome in English, is no, we want to hear you in your own language. That's why you know inside the sanctuary as well we have the scripture written written in different uh, in different languages, and we love to take videos when people are just just reading the word of God in their own language. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because I mean I can read it in English, but there's something something sweet to my soul when I read it in Spanish, mm-hmm. and I think it applies to to different people. Uh, the, the intentionality uh, I think is twofold. One, it is uh, you know being part of a multi ethnic movement of of a church that is racially, linguistically, socioeconomically diverse. Uh, it is not that you know the next trend for churches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you know, 20 years ago, everything was about wearing plaid shirts and having a goatee and skinny jeans or whatever <laughs> it is. I mean, this is not a new trend because it is not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when we were, when we started the Net Church five years ago uh, and we had a people at the table from different national backgrounds, uh, ethnic backgrounds, uh, we could not even agree with how long the worship service was going to last. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember I have a, an African-American lady that while bringing her background, and she said, you know, it, in my church, we usually last, you know, two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I was saying, my background, you know, it, it lasts around three hours. And, and most of the time, we'll never start on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a, a, a Caucasian friend that said, you know, in, in my context, it lasts 27 minutes and you don't go. <laughs> right? so, so it wasn't going to be easy. And it has not been easy. But it is, okay, how do we create, you know, a culture? within all these cultures. Uh, and I think that's the difference between assimilation and integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. when, when, when we try to assimilate people to one culture, we're trying to really asking them to put behind who they were and became, you know, the trend, mm-hmm. the norm. Uh, versus when we're asking people to be part of something by integrating themselves, it is bring your fully self. Right. Uh, and... I mean, there is no way we could do a service that will have everybody happy when it comes to timelines, but we'll do our best to to come to a consensus when we can do uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, and what it matters is having those voices at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have never understood the context of, uh, you know, of gospel music, right? Uh, of uh, of the African American church. Here, I mean, in the United States, you know, 400 years of slavery, but even, you know, some Afrocentric perspectives uh, all around the world, unless I sit at the table with them and I hear their and I hear uh, their passion for God. Uh, and I think, I think that's when intentionality comes. With that intentionality, one of the spiritual trainings that I've been a part of uh, recently it focuses on intentionally finding someone that is not of your race um, mm-hmm. in your background to do ministry with. One of the things that it had us do for a two week period was intentionally find someone of every different race we could think of to have lunch with, to have a certain kind of conversation with, to attend their worship service, to share scripture with and hear their perspective of it as well. And that was a very, very powerful spiritual um, journey, part of my journey. Uh, I'm thinking about this 
Um, if you don't have this kind of richness of, of ethnic and multiculturalism, uh, what I think inevitably you fall into is that my, hetero, my homogenous worship experience is right. It, it is this, mine is the norm and yours is other. Mine is the acceptable and yours is the questionable. And um, I think that bleeds into a lot of our lives. And, and I know uh, as I was acculturated, that was very much the, and it was really method, white Methodist, right? This is right. And traditional worship. I mean, the culture wars happened for a reason. It wasn't multicultural, but it was multi-generational. And, you know, what's right? Uh, what's, I, I actually had a choir director who said, I think it pleases, oh, he was talking to me about the music of Beethoven and Mozart. And, um, and he said, uh, I, you know, I just feel like worship has to have that to be valid. And I said, do you really think it pleases God more than, you know, like tr drums or any, he, and he had no, comp you know, no qualm about saying yes. You know, so th that is just um, the reality. Now I talk about my, how I was acculturated that anything that is, is, is not familiar or created, you know, by my group is, um, superior or normal and everything else is weird weird in the south is kind of a generic word but i do know that my daughter's been acculturated very differently i mean she went to river riverwood high school and there were 72 nationalities there uh in college i was just picked her up from college and i'd said sam i'm hard pressed to think of a person of color who i was close to in college that just was not part of my my lived experience and none of her friends, I mean, they are, it's, it is just an amazing assortment of really interesting people. And she values that. And, and I'll, I'll shut up after this, but when we moved to North Georgia, we came from a very segregated still part of North Florida, but very much, you know, um, uh, worship was, uh, very much divided. And uh, we got up here and the first night we moved, we moved to where we were staying and we were exhausted. We'd driven all day and we went to a local taco Mac and we walked in there and I was just interested in getting something to eat and going to bed. I was like, you know, please just bring me some food. And Sam was looking around like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, what's up? She's like, mom, look at this place. There are people of every color and all types. I mean, and I looked around and I was like, that we are we are in another planet and to me the excitement and the joy of that and my daughter experienced that as as a joy and a gift and our churches are missing that joy and that gift and we're missing younger generations who this is like breathing to them this is their everyday i mean to go when sam you know she got dragged along to a lot of worship services and even in north georgia and every time we'd have lunch after worship what do you think mom they're all white mom there wasn't anything there mom it was all old hymns mom what you know so we're going to lose these generations that are, that are taught that this isn't other or weird, that this is, this is of God. This is joyous. Amen. I think it says a lot when parents are, when parents 
rear their children such that their children can accept people of a different mm -hmm. culture and a different race instead of instilling in them that the only or superior is those that are those that look like us or those that are just like us. Mm -hmm. And that makes a really big difference in us having younger people in our churches and in our congregations, because the experiences that you just shared with us that Sam is having, okay? If she can't have those experiences in a church that she's in, mm -hmm. she's going to lose interest. Right. And that's where we're losing a lot of young people is in that aspect, mm -hmm. uh, being focused on uh, Christ forward, not Christ in the past. In the past, um, it was the norm to a lot of people to have people that only looked like us, that were only our family and extended family in worship services. Literally, yeah. <laughs> and that, if you move anywhere other than to Podunk, Alabama, that's virtually impossible now. We're going to have to adjust our minds and hearts that there has to be people from other families, other cultures, other backgrounds, people that don't always think and digest things in the same manner that we do. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the history of Christianity is, you know, 2,000 years, uh, more or less, in it than a... Uh, and as much as I'm extremely thankful of how the Holy Spirit has continued to move, uh, despite of you know us humans, right. uh, we, we certainly have uh, sadly been masterful as how to other otherize people in church. Yes, uh, and you're right. I mean, you know, we we still fighting a, a debate about should we worship God with with an organ or with a with a drums set. And, and it's the same language, and it is the same culture. Uh, it's just uh, we cannot find to find a way to see beyond ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it is really okay. I mean, is there something that I that I should sacrifice of my own taste for the sake of somebody else experiencing grace of God in their lives? Uh, and uh, one of the things that we joke in the church is that you no, know, we just. We're just trying to get people ready so when they go to heaven, they know what to do over there, right? Uh, we're trying to give here on earth a glimpse of heaven. Uh, and, and most likely, once again, it's, it's a diverse place. Uh, I, I have told people before that, I mean, you know, if if you don't really like and embrace diversity, I mean, you're going to have a really hard time in heaven. Uh, now, somebody can make the argument that if you don't even like diversity, you may not even make it to heaven at that point. Uh, but but it is this is God's creation, and and we really do not have the biblical authority to segregate people uh, in any nature, uh, just because it is intimidating for us or or it is not what it has been in the past. And I think too um, we can talk about what hard work it is. You know, <laughs> I think of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And how, where is that model? Where is that, you know, yes, I, I, part of it is I bear with others and, and seek to understand them through their accent mm. or I learn their language. I mean, you know, when I realized I was sitting in a, in a conference one time and realized that um, when I heard that most people, most Christians in the world speak Spanish, I immediately started learning Spanish. Now, 
I'm still working on it. I can understand it. I can read it. But, but, uh, and it also helped me understand why my um, Puerto Rican assistant when I was a DS couldn't use an apostrophe to save her life, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, there aren't any, no wonder she couldn't do apostrophes. But, but it helps you understand the other, right? Even in simple things like that. And so to understand the, um, the depth of, of, um, of, uh, interaction, the depth of, um, it, it's hard work. It means that I have to put myself out, which, which, you know, Christ did clearly. Yeah. Um, so talk about what people can do, um, in, in the face of COVID, you know, how are we coming out of COVID and how do we be intentional in this new day? I, I think if, if there is something that at least I have learned during this COVID season is, you know, how, how really the devil can use, you know, isolation to mess up with people's lives uh, and, and with the body of Christ. Uh, and, and I think as, as we are, you know, emerging out of, of the COVID, out of our caves, I mean, we, we have been given a brand new opportunity to, to see life different. Uh, I mean, at some point, I'll, I'll be able to write in my, you know, memoirs that, you know, I survived COVID-19, right? Uh, and, and, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people that didn't. I mean, we, we went literally to a human pandemic that the fact that we are breathing, the fact that we are interacting with one another, it is, it is a second chance uh, to, to do better. Uh, it is a second chance to really uh, uh, give it all what we have when it comes down for the sake for the sake of love. Um, I, I love to think in, you know, in Jesus' last, uh, almost like, like second chance, right? I mean, he walked into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday and he knew, I mean, Sunday was coming of resurrection, uh, but he didn't just wait a, a week to think into, okay, let's just punch this ticket to heaven and call it quits. I mean, he did the hard thing every single day of that week, right? Uh, it wasn't Monday when he started, you know, confronting uh, the hypocrisy in the church, right? It wasn't Tuesday when he started uh, trying to, you know, preach perhaps the toughest sermon that he has preached. Uh, Thursday when he when he did the hardest thing and, you know, washing the, the disciples' feet. So, so I, w- I just want to encourage the churches out there that uh, if you're watching this, it's because you have been given a second chance. Uh, thank, thank you, Jesus, that, that, that we have survived the pandemic right now. Uh, so let's not waste it. Right. Let's let's give it all what we have. Well, and tell, talk about the shelf life of a church that doesn't. Absolutely, absolutely. I think when when you look at the demographics uh, that is happening around you, uh, and every single sphere around us is catching up. Uh, you know, corporate world is catching up with diversity and what that looks like in workplace. Uh, you know, you look at commercials in TV; they know that if they start reflecting reflecting you know multiracial families intergenerational uh, families they won't be able to sell the products uh, their market will reduce uh, that's not different than church uh, sport associations you know whatever teams you look like uh, i do believe sometimes you know uh, atlanta united game looks more like heaven in the you know in the fan stands than in so many of our churches uh, so uh, 
if we don't catch up with what God is doing, that is redeeming every single human being in this world, uh, we're going to be in the sidelines. It's funny that you mentioned an Atlanta United game looking more like heaven than our churches. Because when I envision the book of Acts, that's what I envision. A big sporting event that is a gathering of everything, people having fun, people eating, people dining together, etc. that encompasses every race and everybody is considered valuable. When I think of Jesus washing the uh, feet of the, the disciples, one of the questions that comes to my mind is, whose feet are you washing? Mm-hmm. Whom are you serving? Whom are you honoring? And one way of ingratiating people is honoring them and honoring them with value, valuing them um, even though their experiences may be different from mine. And the fact that their experiences and many things along their journey may be different from mine does not make them any less valuable than me. And understanding that a part of serving is learning from their experiences, learning what God wants me to learn from their experiences and bringing that into my personal journey. Give me some um, practical tips. Rodrigo, you talked about, you know, 10 years in a church that, you know, you had to choose (laughs) where where you're going racially, ethnically, language-wise. What are some practical ways, say I have a church and there's no diversity, and um, I have no idea. I don't even know who lives around the church, right? I drive in or I've been going here for years and don't notice who's around. What are some really practical ways that, that churches in this post-COVID period could really blossom and flourish in new ways? One thing that comes to my mind is doing something similar to pop-up church hmm. in the community. Pitching a tent, um, sharing bottled water or sharing something simple and see who comes and sharing a word of inspiration with them. Hmm. I think, you know, right now with, with the flexibility of COVID-19 and, and everything doing virtually, I mean, I may challenge somebody, you know, especially on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, uh, just drive around you and without going to church, but see who is in the streets, who is, who is in the parks, who is playing sports, who is in the grocery stores? Uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we, we our business is not to go and grab people from other churches, right? Hopefully they're worshiping Jesus and, and they're growing in their faith. Our business is to try to take the gospel to those who are not in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in most cases, uh, you know, those who are playing sport, those who are in the grocery store may not look like you, may not speak like you. Uh, it, it is intimidating to, to engage a conversation with somebody that, that doesn't look like you. Uh, now, I do believe, you know, the face masks, uh, people, uh, I think right now with COVID-19, people are hungry to engage in conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, with social distance and the face masks, that could be a very less threatening approach. Uh, so so be intentional and just, just start having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as you drive around in your neighborhood, you can probably easily look, okay, how many... You know, okay, there's a black church over there. There's a white church over there. There's a church with a sign in Spanish, with a, giant, uh, a sign in Korean. Uh, and, and when you start looking at how the church is segregated, and once again, I, I'm not getting to the fact that 
uh, that is wrong, but they're reaching certain demographics. Uh, that just creating a vacuum for people that are mixed marriages, second generation, right. hung, hungry to be part of a group outside of yourself, uh, and engage with your pastor and, and approach them and say, hey, you know, how, what do we have to do to talk to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, or talk to your district superintendent uh, uh, as a conference. We're, we're trying to be extremely intentional in making sure that uh, people from, you know, we're the only institution on earth that in our DNA and core values, we say, you know, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, uh, every person can belong. Mm-hmm. So uh, challenge the status quo in your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we start doing something in our church uh, years ago. It's called you know, dinner conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if you have never had dinner with somebody that doesn't look like you, maybe this is a perfect time to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to preach at them. You don't have to, you know, recite the Bible in a different language. You, you simply get to know somebody, uh, somebody's story. Hear God through somebody's story. Uh, there's perhaps no greater gift than that. I think, too, um, as I look back on the churches we've served, uh, in the smaller churches, we just started making sure that we had different ethnicities reflected in the leadership. Um, and and if, if they weren't there and they were in our community, uh, we would pray, help us find somebody to speak. And, and it was amazing how, you know, we'd get to know people or we would, you know, eventually God would send us somebody to be on our team. Um, and then when we had the opportunity to hire staff, it was really tremendously freeing to, to hire staff who were diverse and who brought different perspectives and who really, it was just such a, such a gift to the church that, um, because really until you see somebody up on the cha- in the chancel area, if you're in a more traditional space or up on the stage, if you're in a more contemporary space that looks like you, it, it's just, there's something that doesn't resonate as authentic. And so I think we have a lot to do uh, just in intentionality of leadership and in um, worship teams and, you know, and how are we um, doing that? Uh, I think that that's one way that churches can really evaluate. Uh, you know, we have, we have mission insight available to every church in North Georgia, get your mission insight, see what your demographics are and then see, lay it out. And it might not even be ethnic or racial. It might be age. It might be um, educational level. It might be, you know, there's a lot of things, but who's not there. And if somebody's not there, then you need some leadership that's going to have those folks close to their heart. But overall, I think like we've spoken about, you have to have an appreciation, which I think is a God giving thing. I do not think you can have the Holy spirit moving freely in your church or in your life if you're not willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've learned as a health minister is that if everything within the local church is homogenous, the church is not healthy. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way in a community. If everything within the community is homogenous, the community is not healthy because the community gives a perspective that the entire world is just like what I see. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing in the church. 
people look to the church as a place that's going to be reflective of how we need to be in the world and how we need to be to get to heaven. I think, you know, Acts 11 to 13, those are probably the three most important chapters for me, I mean, in Christianity. Uh, because it, it just speaks about, you know, Christianity is not a, it's not a cultural property of any single racial or ethnic group. Uh, rather, it's, you know, it existed as a family chosen of people from every nation, every yeah. tribe, every tongue. Uh, the intentionality of the early church and bringing leaders that can reflect the community they're trying to reach, it's everything. Uh, uh, and, and yes, I know there's, there's always the fear of tokenism, right? Uh, uh, and there's always the fear of just, you know, being shallow. And, and I think that's why there's a difference between welcoming people and valuing people's lives. Uh, uh, and if, if you're in a group where, where it's just all homogeneous, and that could be, you know, all Spanish-speaking or all white or all black, uh, it does have to start with the one, right? And, and I have been that one when, when I don't look like everybody else. Uh, and it, take, it takes thick skin of that person to, uh, you know, to stick with it. But then it also takes a lot of thick skin from the allies to say, hey, let's bring a second one and let's bring a third one. And even if it's there just one and there's 99 of the other ones, let's make sure we listen to that voice. Right. That thick skin involves allowing a space of bonding allowing a space of being relational and allowing a space of being relational in the aspect of how, how God would have us be relational, not to be um, exclusive in how we relate, but to be relational in an aspect of understanding and having true value. Well, I, I appreciate uh, Methodism and its sense of sanctification as a progressive thing. And certainly, certainly, I know I have a long way to go, and most people have a long way to go. But, um, but to me, the, the heart of it is holding out the vision, right? Absolutely. That the vision is all people. That mm -hmm. all, you know, and the table imagery comes yet again. I mean, that is the vision, that we will all feast together. And, um, oh, how good it is when kindred can live in unity. And that, yeah. you know, if we have the vision, at least our efforts, you know, we do it in fits and starts. We make mistakes. I mean, to, to me, to be in a multicultural, multi-ethnic place is I'm going to say something stupid or somebody's going to have to teach me, but I'm willing. And that's yep. where we start. And, you know, my daughter, you'll love this, Rodrigo. Um, I, I can read Spanish pretty, pretty fluently. I can, I can um, commute, you know, I, I can't, I can't, can, the conversations are way too fast, right? But my daughter said, Mom, you are not going to be fluent until you get the embarrassment factor. Mm -hmm. Until you sit in a, you know, until you have to do it and you, and you are, show everybody how bad you are at it. And I thought, you know what? That goes to everything. Absolutely. Until we're willing to deal with the embarrassment factor that I may come up short, I may not know, I may be uncomfortable, I may have to be thick-skinned. I think all of us. But, but isn't the vulnerability and the openness what Christ modeled? Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I, I don't know. Final words. Uh, we could talk about this all day, no doubt. But final words going into post-COVID. 
Um, I feel like our churches do have another chance. So, so first step, tell them what to go do first. Okay. Jeff, do you want to find a voice and then I'll go? Get outside of the buildings and mm-hmm. into the community. Mm-hmm. Don't allow church to be seen or even thought of anymore as a building and a place that we drag people off to and hold them hostage. Mm-hmm. Be in the community just as Jesus was in the community. I would say there's probably no greater tragedy, uh, you know, in a dying world than a sick church. Mm. Uh, I think uh, we have the opportunity to do all we can to make sure people know they are loved by Jesus. Mm. Uh, and we're going to fall short, as you say, Bishop, in, in a lot of areas. Uh, and there's a big chance that half the stuff we're doing is wrong. Uh, but it is it is worth trying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know that, you know, as we talk post-COVID, uh, is prior to COVID, things were not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, what a better chance to to try doing something different for the sake of somebody speaking, uh, uh, you know, understanding that God loves them, that God dies for them, that God has a purpose for their lives. So so to all the churches out there, uh, don't take for granted this second, second chance that you have been given. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we as pastors, I mean, we, we, I love to be pushed by my church when, when I know I have shortcomings, I know I oversee things, and when they say, hey, pastor, there's, there's somebody out there that needs to, that needs to know Jesus. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Uh, challenge your pastor to do that, to think about that, uh, but also come up with solutions, or at least to give it a shot. Well, I thank you both, and uh appreciate so much your ministries and how you model all of this for us. And uh, my dream is, you know, that uh, that we'll have net churches all over, churches that where a child won't have to cho- choose and where um, there's a lot of celebration. And so thank you both. And uh, in this on your market set, go post COVID uh, life and ministry. So thanks again. The Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.